This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And here he is, Bob Olin, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave, and it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? Yeah, sun is shining. That should help get rid of a little snow today before we get more later on this week. Oh, boy, I saw that one in the forecast. Um, Been out and around, and folks in the greater Duluth area are well aware that we really have canyons of snow, don't we? We certainly do, and spring is coming up, though, Bob. It'll happen actually uh, less than a week away. Next Monday is the first day of spring. Oh man, I'm glad you reminded us of that. Yeah. We needed a little bit of uh, a little bit of something to uplift with us on this it actually <laughs> glorious morning. Uh, you know, I really don't mind it even in March, uh, but yeah. uh, let's get rid of it in April and May for sure. You know, it uh, kind of takes me back to last season when we had uh, late snows and we had snow still on the ground in May. And I met with a group last night, and they were all wondering why their tomatoes didn't ripen. You know, Dave, the, the days are getting longer. Now, you track that pretty carefully for us. Uh, can you give us a little estimate of how much? Well, uh, yeah, in fact, by, well, day? next week it'll be the, the solstice, I suppose. Is that what they call That's it? That's right. Yeah, so it'll be even up. But now it's 724 for the sun up and 713 for sundown, central daylight time. Right, so we're, do, we're doing pretty well that way for sure. You bet. And it helps melt the snow, too, as the sun gets a little higher in the sky. It will. And the thing is amazing. We have all this snow now on the ground throughout the region, of course. And uh, it won't be long. It's going to go very fast when it goes. In the, oh, boy, the good thing is that we didn't have much frost in the ground, so the ground's going to pick this up. And uh, we're going to have plenty of moisture for spring planting. So actually, looking uh, looking forward. If I can share this thought with people, uh, we can't be fooled. Last year, we got fooled by the calendar just a little bit. And everyone delayed their planting in May. And I work, of course, with a lot of our local family-owned greenhouses, and uh, they all said, boy, they were pretty disappointed the customer didn't come out in May, and of course they understood why. We still had snow on the ground in the early part of May, and uh, then they kind of forgot about their gardens, and all of a sudden, mid to late June, they they just warmed the greenhouses and uh, started buying tomato plants and so forth. We kind of missed a little bit of the season. we got to remember, we're going to have to look at two things. You're going to have to look at both the calendar as well as the thermometer, we don't, of course, want to set any frost-sensitive plants out too early. But what usually happens is we have these cold spells, and you got to hold those plants back. Now, if you're taking care of them, you've already purchased them, or you've grown them out, you hold them back, they continue to grow, and then we're going to get a window. And you're just going to have to jump on that window early and put other things aside and get them in the ground. I was guilty of this as well. I delayed a little bit, and I said, well, well, we'll make up for it later in the season. You never make up for that declining sunlight, and it's sunlight again that drives green plant growth. So I'm just kind of making some notes of what happened last season. We're going to have uh, we have plenty of winter hanging on here, and it may happen again. So we're going to take advantage of that break when it happens, whether it's uh, last week in May, first week in June. Uh, we're going to get those plants out, the warm season plants. We definitely want them in by June 10th. So we'll follow both the calendar as well as the, uh, as well as the thermometer and we'll be careful with them. But nonetheless, uh, we can't miss the season. So that's what happened to a lot of people last year. Uh, southern part of the county in this area, they just didn't ripen mature for them, a lot of the tomatoes. Uh, northern part where I was uh, last night talking with a, a group of gardeners. Uh, they um, they had an awful lot of late blight that occurred, and I was surprised. We'll get a chance later in the show. We'll talk a little bit about that. I asked the group at another meeting I was at, and 
We saw some of that in the Duluth area, a limited amount, but farther north in the county, just about everyone was devastated by that disease, took down all their tomato plants. So we'll talk a little bit about tomatoes. We get a chance as we go through the uh, the hour here, Dave. Big crop for everyone in North America, number one home uh, garden crop. And we'll talk about what we anticipate, some of the new varieties coming up, and uh, we'll share some of the things so we can avoid some of these problems, Dave. We can't put it in the ground until the snow is gone, though, right? I mean, can we dig no, through the snow that. to plant these uh, plants? No, even your <laughs> even your um, iceberg lettuce. We got to stay. Oh away no! <laughs> All right, we'll take I'll a break. Disappoint you. And be right back. The Bob Olin Show, nine twenty-one at KDAL. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning. Bob, the snow has uh, completely covered up some of my bushes and uh, plants out in the uh, <laughs> the yard. Is that going to hurt them at all? They're not getting any sunshine at all. Well, in some ways it protects them. You know, my biggest concern out there is we get critters. We've protected a lot of our trees. We've mm-hmm. got uh, collars. We've talked about that, particularly it's the smooth bark trees. Well, there's been tremendous demand ever since the um, the COVID-19 experience, let's call it that. Uh, people wanted to put apples, pears, cherries in the ground in a real extreme shortage of a lot of these a lot of this plant material so they carry a pretty hefty price i've seen uh larger caliber what we call caliber diameter trees with over a hundred dollar price tags on them in the nursery and people put these in the ground they're thin marked if you don't get them properly protected uh, you can easily use lose those uh, we've got bowls now they sit under the snow and uh, they'll work right between the, the snow and the soil line. So we've always encouraged people. I like to use just this black drainage tile, slit it down the side, wrap it around about a four or five inch tile, and work it up as far as you can. That's what I've often told people. My my best advice, I don't often do it, but you bring that, uh, that plastic uh, cylinder up to the lower branches, and then you take... Uh, tree wrap and you wrap it farther up we usually haven't had to worry too much about that but unfortunately i'm looking at some of my trees yesterday and uh the snow is way above where i've got the the um, the cylinders and i didn't get out and wrap some of these younger trees so we're going to see what's going to happen above that worry a little bit about rabbits coming along on the snow surface they can do a fair amount of damage and of course i would expect um, and suggest that people inspect their trees early if you have to replace them if they've been pulled all the way around particularly at the base level i hate to tell you this the buds are going to pop for you you think you didn't have a problem but uh, on a a smooth bark tree a very young tree there's a layer of tissue right underneath that smooth bark that actually conducts all of the moisture from the upper portion of the tree down to the roots so uh, the water comes up on the inside so that the uh, buds pop they break you get leaves that form however there's no sugars, there's no vascular tissue left. It's all been gnawed off, so that sugar transport down to the roots just uh, doesn't supply the roots. Actually, that tree dies. So anytime we've got extensive damage, I would say uh, just take her down, prune at ground level, and make sure you line up a new tree for this year because I would anticipate again this year we're going to be short of tree stock. You know, a lot of these trees in the nurseries, uh, they're 10 years old, and they had to plan for the demand 10 years prior to this, and you know, they get too large on them, so they don't want to overplant, overproduce, and they were caught by surprise. So there's been a limited amount of uh, tree stock available, particularly we're so fussier. We give you a lot of recommended varieties of what we really like. There's only a certain amount of uh, material that we really are, are uh, fond of and will grow best in this area, and that's been in rather short supply. So, Dave, uh, I would say we're going to have to wait and see. 
Uh, I will maybe spend a little time and suggest that um, if you have a very young tree and right now on a day like this, we can have a lot of problems with sun scald. And it would still be worth getting out to that tree and getting a craft tree wrap and wrapping the upper portion. Now, this is uh, thin bark trees. Dave, you got a Harrelson that's uh, yeah, pretty old. old. Do you think that uh, <laughs> apple tree is? Oh, it's got to be 40 years old by now. 40 years old. At least. You've got yeah. a lot of gnarly bark on the outside. Yeah. Once you get them to that point, you don't have to worry about wrapping. Even the rabbits don't want to touch <laughs> that old gnarly stuff. So, <laughs> but it's getting them to that point. I would say that first uh, five to 10 years, we got to get some bark, uh, old deteriorating bark on the outside. But right now on a day like this, what's what happens is we've got uh, a lot of sun uh, bouncing off a very, very a white blanket of snow. We get quite a bit of heat on the south side of that uh, main stem going up. So the water is being sucked up from the roots under these conditions. And then, of course, we get cold temperatures. And this does two things. It gets the maple sap flowing on the older trees, but it can also leave, it will also leave that uh, water up in those cells. And then either the sun sets, we can depend on that, and you know the time, temperatures drop dramatically, that water is still up in those cells, it gets trapped, it freezes, and water freezes, expands as it freezes, and it will tear those cells apart and, and destroy that vascular tissue. Now, this isn't quite as bad as having a vol circumvent or, or to destroy the tissue uh, 365 degrees around the base, but what it does, it damages that south side, so it won't kill a tree, but it definitely has a, a significant impact on the overall health. So if you have young trees, a valuable tree, I would still say get out there. You're, you, I'm not going to suggest you plant your tomatoes, as, as you alluded yeah. to earlier there, but I think craft paper tree wrap, we've got some good sponsors. I know they got it on their shelf. If you have a valuable tree, I would uh, definitely get it wrapped as far as you can because there's a great deal of uh, potential risk of sun scald damage, particularly on young, valuable trees this time of year, Dave. You may have to get your uh, snowshoes out to get to the trees, but... Uh, I'll tell you, I was out the other day, and it's I, over I, I don't deep do a whole lot of snowshoeing, but <laughs> yeah. I've got it a pair, and that's what I was using it for, actually. Yeah, and the rabbits seem to have no problem running on the top of the snow, but it's, no, uh, it doesn't hold us too well. These, no, we got these snowshoes that have those great big panels underneath, and they <laughs> they get around pretty easily. And the other the other side of animal damage, uh, there's all this snow out there, and even though that uh, it's going to melt, uh, the, the deer get very aggressive. Uh, the rabbits get very aggressive because uh, they don't see anything green yet, so they're out there uh, gnawing on just about anything they can get at this time of year. Yeah, kind of surprising that rabbits like trees. I thought they were into carrots and stuff. Well, I think they are. I've, have you noticed that uh, the hungrier you get, the more appealing <laughs> some of those unappetizing foods become? I suppose, yeah. <laughs> You'll eat anything had, if you're hungry enough, of, yeah. I had one experience from my youth where we got out in the boundary waters. We had uh, a bear that uh, got to one of our food packs, and uh, we wound, our, uh, wound up uh, four days without anything but oatmeal. Ooh. But, boy, did that oatmeal taste good. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm not a big oatmeal fan, particularly when it isn't properly prepared. But uh, So I think maybe the same thing is true with uh, some of these critters. Late in the season, uh, they'll go for anything. They possibly get some calories right. out of Dave. Well, maybe we should uh, spread carrots around to give them plenty to eat so they'll leave our trees alone. Well, now there's a thought. Uh, we are we actually call that a lure crop, if you can oh. believe it. 
And uh, sometimes we use those to attract insects away from our <laughs> desired plants. We right. try to get them out. And I was told the other day I plant both eggplant and potatoes. I've had a problem with the potato bug. They mm-hmm. they prefer eggplant over potatoes. And I actually had a grower that was actually establishing eggplant to attract and draw those uh, <laughs> Colorado potato beetle to the eggplant. Didn't care about the eggplants, but he wanted to save his potatoes. That was his whole yeah. thought. So I just had to, I just had that idea shared <laughs> with me. I know that they do love eggplant, and uh, I try to pick them off and fight them both on both crops because I like both potatoes as well as eggplant. <laughs> but that's called a lure crop. If you can figure that whole process out, if you want to drop oh, carrots yeah. out there, the only disadvantage sometimes is they just invite the neighbors in. Well, that's and true. When the too. carrots are gone, <laughs> you've got instead of two rabbits, you've got twenty-two rabbits. Oh boy! All <laughs> right. Well, we'll take another break, Bob, and be right back. 9.31 now, the Bob Olin Show on KDAO. All right, Bob Olin Show continuing. Bob, you got your tomatoes started indoors yet? No, it's a little early for that. Okay. Onions are going, but uh, let's not get started too early on that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I usually look about the 15th or so uh, to get a lot of the um, eggplant, and uh, we're talking about those and tomatoes and peppers going a little earlier than that toward the end of March for me, but I don't want them to get too long and leggy on me, and then, then I make sure I try to get them out. So we're just a little early for all those warm season crops for folks that are giving it a try that have either some greenhouse space or they got a good lighting system. Uh, definitely worth a try. You know, one of the real advantages of starting your own, first, it's kind of fun. And then um, you get to pick your varieties, so you're not dependent totally on what what's available at the greenhouses. And if you do it right, you can save a little money in the process as well. So we can uh, we get a chance here. We can talk just a little bit about starting from seed. We got all kinds of activities coming up. Uh, I mentioned April 15th for starting our our tomatoes, and people say that's a little late. That has worked out pretty well for me. If I I don't want to go toward the end of April, but I want to get them about mid-April started at least, and then grow them out. Um, April 15th, that's uh, our spring gardening extravaganza down at the uh-huh. depot this year. That's going, oh, that's going to be a big day. We haven't done, uh, this is actually the first time I've men- mentioned it, um, uh, and yet we've got all kinds of people pre-registered. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you just a little idea what we're going to do. We're going to spend the morning, um, put together a program called Designing Your Cottage Garden Landscape. It's kind of a throwback to the Bridgertons up on the Netflix and uh well, there's a lot of interest in a cottage garden, and I've got, I really feel fortunate. I've got a landscape architect, very interesting individual that has uh, made a wonderful life, has uh, landscaped uh, homes. He told me from uh, Winnipeg to Mexico City to Palm Beach in California to West Palm or whatever it is in, in Florida and every place in between, and he's going to donate his services. Not only is he going to talk about it, so we'll have him speak about design. We're going to take a look at the old-fashioned perennials. I've got a rose expert that's introduced, uh, Cherry Frost, to Julie Overham, that's going to talk about old-fashioned roses. There were herb gardens and there were uh, fruit gardens in these old English cottage gardens. So we've got all those segments that's going to take up the morning for us, but there'll be something in there for everybody that you can adopt. Oh, I've got an individual talking about putting pavers in, too. Uh, a gentleman that, that brought the, the first paving systems uh, to Duluth, he's agreed to come. These are all volunteers that are stepping forward. This is going to be amazing. And he's going to tell you how to put those pavers down so they don't frost even for you and so forth. He's offered to do that. He's retired, so he's not making a dollar. None of these people are, really. They just want to give back to the community 
And uh, that's going to be in the morning. Our landscape architect has also indicated that if he has time, he'll set up a couple tables in the break area for lunch, and he'll spend the rest of the day answering individual questions, working on individual design issues for folks. So I am so appreciative of our master gardeners and all of our volunteers in our community that are stepping forward to help us put this big program on. That'll be April 15th, Spring Gardening Extravaganza. In the uh, afternoon session, we've got opportunities for three breakouts, all kinds of workshops from pruning your apple trees on out. Uh, We're going to do lots of different things, uh, about 13 different options for you to pick from in the afternoon. It's going to be a great day down in the deep row, April 15th. Uh, You can look at it uh, up on the St. Louis County website if you'd like under gardening, and you can take a little bit of a look at the program. Big day. Get in and sign up. We might be uh, constrained. I think we can handle only about 125 people, so Mm it will be a very... Very good day for us, Dave. We do it every year, but uh, this year is going to be something really special. Yeah, they get bigger and better every year, Bob. You're going to have to get a you have, to have it down at the deck here pretty quick. <laughs> oh boy, that that would be an undertaking, <laughs> that's for sure. Depots, uh, yeah, we expanded down there. We're very thankful to the wow. depot opening up some space for us. So it's going to it's going to be a very very good day as we uh, as we work our way through that. Lots of folks contributing. It'll be fun, for sure. Yeah, landscaping sounds very interesting. I mean, everybody can have a garden, but to get a really fancy garden with the pavers so you can walk through it and stuff, that's got to be great. It's going to be fun. And, you know, uh, the cottage garden concept's a little different than uh, conventional yeah. landscape design. Uh, the cottage gardens, we had big masses of color, and we had a lot of heirloom plants. Uh, now, nothing is maintenance-free. Don't let me give you that. Uh, maybe <laughs> those pavers, if you put them in right, are going to be maintenance-free, but yeah. everything takes a little effort. But uh, uh, basically, uh, it's a lot of heirloom materials, so we're not dealing with a lot of exotics. We're dealing with uh, materials that will expand and fill a different area in. Uh, so we're looking at uh, a lot of the heirlooms. If I take a look at the perennials, there are going to be a lot of uh, very lovely materials like delphinium and foxglove and daylilies, and these are peonies. These are basically uh, low maintenance, uh, certainly mm-hmm. uh, perennial materials. They're not exotics. The, you know, a lot of the newer hybrids are very wonderful, beautiful colors and so forth, but uh, don't tend to last nearly as long in our landscapes, and they're, they require a little bit more division and maintenance. So we're going back to the old days of the uh, these English gardens were around about the early 1800s. I've wow. taken a little look myself as we put this together. So it goes back quite a ways. And uh, they started really with a uh, significant uh, edible gardens, both vegetables as well as the herbs, which were used in cooking. It's going to be one of our sessions. We're going to take a look at growing herbs and following it up with a culinary specialist. going to tell you how to use them so that your, your vegetables taste good when they're flavored with herbs. No salt, no sugar, no fat just the herbs, but um, they grew it all. Back in those days, the food was all local. We weren't moving things around the world. So we're going back uh, back to the future, wherever that that expression came from. So we're looking at some of these older older techniques, and uh, herbs have become pretty big. And I'm uh, kind of intrigued myself. Got an expert that's going to talk about uh, success with herbs in uh, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. Lots of fun stuff coming up on that particular day. Yeah, saying English cottage garden makes me think it's more for northern climates then rather than the south? We are doing it for our climate. That's what's unique. I don't think it's ever been done. These are for designing. I've I've titled that segment of the program, Designing Your Northern Cottage Garden. So uh, it'll be... uh, 
varieties. We'll have varietal lists, uh, materials that are good and winter hardy. Hardiness, mm-hmm. winter hardiness is our first uh, criteria as we select some of these materials. Lots of fun. It's going to be a good day. Lots of folks contributing. So uh, we'll have fun with that one for sure, Dave. And again, just you know, uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, go ahead. I just you check with St. Louis County to get more information, right? Yeah, I could give you the uh, what we call a Z link. It's Z dot U of M dot edu front slash SLC Garden. <laughs> okay, so or, or just Google, just Google something. Yeah, service and. And Google it out, and you'll find uh, more description about the day in the program, and you can register there and all kinds of other things right. going on there. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I want to take us back. You know, I got you out there in snowshoes, Dave. You're protecting your your new um, Honeycrisp apple that you paid 100 bucks for, and you're, mm-hmm. you want to make sure, I mean, you know, hypothetical at least, but someone right. did put that $100 tree in the ground because it didn't stay in the nursery. Thin-skinned, you're going to you protected the base. And now we got uh, three. I don't know how much how much snow is on the ground, Dave. Uh, quite a bit at this point, and we got more coming, obviously, for the weekend. So yeah, it's it's pretty yeah, high in some got, areas. At least three or four feet on the ground in mm-hmm. many areas, and uh, so you've got that stem that wasn't protected. You're going to go out to your lawn and garden shop, uh, and you're going to buy some craft uh, tree wrap, and you're going to wrap the upper portion. Otherwise, that upper portion of the main stem, at least, can have this this uh, we call it a physiological disorder where we're breaking down tissues. Sun scald is what we're worried about, particularly on the south side of the tree. You would have an option on a warm day. You could also paint that white. That's what they do on all of the nurseries uh, or orchards, I should say. They come along with a white latex paint. I want to emphasize the fact do not put an oil-based paint on there. Mm-hmm. White latex, obviously, you're going to do that on a day when the temperature is above freezing <laughs> or you're going to have real problems. Yeah. So wait for that warm day. You can just brush it on, spray it on. Uh, they got big spray systems that they use in the orchards. And what that does is it reflects the warmth of that southern sun so you, we don't get this heating effect that occurs. That would be another option. If you decide to wrap it, uh, what I've neglected to mention is that wrap has to come off as soon as the snow melts because otherwise you trap moisture inside that wrap and you can have a disease that occurs on that bark on the outside. So I've seen people wrap them all diligently from top to bottom and don't take the wrap <laughs> off where they're trying to protect the tree. They're inadvertently just creating an issue for the tree. Water water runs down there, we get some rot that occurs. So the problem with the tree wrap is it has to go out in the fall, has to come off in the spring. On the base of the plant, these uh, cylinders of poly or plastic, whether they be white or whether they be black, make sure there's an airspace between that stem and the poly, and it won't get hot as long as there's an airspace there. And uh, those you can leave on until that tree expands and comes up close to touching. You don't, again, don't want it to touch the poly. Uh, We're talking about the cylinders now. Get Mm -hmm. that off there as well. But you've got five or six years before that's going to have to come off. And then usually that bark is pretty tough and gnarly, and the tree can protect itself. But tree wrap, if you go out and wrap them now, and you still would be advised to do that on young trees now in particular, uh, make sure that comes off as soon as the snow melts so we don't uh, create an addition problem. So there's there's a little effort getting right. a tree established, but once you've got a Harrelson like that or a Harold Red or any of our great uh, Sweet 16 varieties, so many of these great durable varieties, uh, you've got a tree that will last for 50, 60 years. So yours is 45 years maybe or so mm-hmm. old, you were saying, Dave? Yeah, at least, sure. And uh, st- 
still very productive, correct? Yep. Uh, almost too productive, actually. Almost too productive. Yeah, more apples than so I can possibly if use. If you're in town, you got a small lot, uh, one tree is going to be good enough because mm-hmm. someone else has got an apple tree close. If you're out in a more rural area without a lot of uh, other trees that are contributing pollen, we really want two trees, uh, two varieties. We want uh, so we can exchange a little bit of pollen because pollen exchange is what's important to fertilization. Without good fertilization, we don't get good fruit sets. So two to three trees. If you don't have a lot of close neighbors, if you're in town, you got limited space, one tree will do. And once again, uh, don't uh, don't squeeze them up. So you don't want them three feet apart. You want those uh, 12 to 15 feet apart in your backyard if you're going to plant that second tree. Right. But again, it's a it's a, a little bit of effort. You need a little bit of knowledge. Pruning, if you get a chance, this is a time of year when we're going to think about pruning those trees up as well. Uh, so it does take a little bit of knowledge. Takes a little effort for that first five six years. But then you've got something that uh, basically they just do their own thing for the next 30, 40 years, right, Dave? Right, you bet. Hey, Bob, we got a call. Let's uh, head to the phones first and see what's going on. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Dave in Superior. Go ahead, Dave. Hi, all this talk about the fruit trees, Bob. I've got several um, apple trees and a couple of apricot trees. I can't get Wow, them. great. No, it's too deep. <laughs> what's the latest? You can't get to them. What's the latest? Uh, I can uh, prune them and and still be okay. Oh, that's really a good question. Uh, We call it a dormant prune. So uh, you want to prune certainly before those buds ever break. I'd like it pruned before they begin to swell. So you're going to have an opportunity when this snow melts down. And the amazing thing, because uh, about how many feet do you have on the ground there, if I can ask, Dave? Well, you've got a lot of snow. Two and a half to three, but but where I have a couple of trees, I'm in on the edge of town, in town, and okay. I have some massive drifts, and I also put, um, you know, the wire fencing around them to keep the deer away. Well, now with a six foot drift, that that snow's not going to melt for a long, long time. Uh, it's going to be a while. To and, and dig them out, I guess. You might want to. The other thing that always surprises me, now in the shade, that if there's any shade there, partial shade there, it's going to take a long time. But all of a sudden, we'll get a couple 50-degree days, and it'll go down pretty quickly. So once again, as I mentioned with setting tomato plants out, we're probably going to have a situation where people can say, I still got winter, I still got winter, I still got winter. And then the calendar keeps moving, the days keep getting longer, and in the case of your apples, those trees are going to start picking moisture up and those buds are going to swell, and pretty soon you got leaf break. Then it is too late because we no longer have a dormant tree. We've got an actively growing tree. changes all the hormones and, and the, the way they get moved around the tree once we start to grow like that. So what you'll want to do is just be very careful, watch them. Maybe that snow will go down very quickly, two, three, four days, and at least you can get out there with your uh, – your barn boots on or something and and get to the get to the trees sometimes it doesn't take a lot of pruning but a couple of good strategic cuts when that tree is still dormant so i uh you have to get out there a little bit early you might have to remove a little bit of the snow but you've still got time at this point but my guess if uh past history is any indication the snow will go very quickly over maybe a week's period of time when we can get to those trees before those buds swell or before they break, but you kind of have to watch them 
on a weekly basis and then get after him in a hurry when you get the chance. All right. And David, you while you're on the line, uh, any luck with those apricots? Um, yeah, I got one apricot last year. The trees are about four okay. years old. They've, they've had a, lot, a number of blossoms, but, of course, as luck yes. would have it. Yeah, we've had really cold, foggy, drizzly weather right when those apricots bloom, and they always bloom early. Uh, they bloom quite early. I didn't know that. I'm getting the pollination was limited. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you called because, you know, we we do have a lot of interest. I'm so glad you called. That is the rub on apricots. People should be aware and why I haven't. I've tried them. I haven't been very successful. Uh, the, the problem we do have is exactly what you pointed out. They bloom very early. We can either get a sharp freeze, it'll drop those blossoms, or we don't have a lot of pollinating insects that are out there at that time of year to carry the pollen around. So even though the trees and the breeders are always looking for hardier material so hardiness isn't so much the issue it's having a good year now as they mature and we get uh, a very very warm spring in our climate uh, everyone's telling us is warming up and um, you might be very very pleased down the road you might you've got trees that are well established we just got to get them into the fruiting phase got to get pollinators got to have a warm spring so you may be really uh, very re- rewarded for making that effort. But you'll have to keep us informed as we come through the season. Dave, I'd love to have another call from you to see how it goes with the snow melt and what the bloom looks like on those apricots this year. Okay. So hey, thank you, Everson. Yeah, thanks for the call. Thank Ma- you. Maybe you thank can, you for uh, calling. You can double up this year. Instead of one, you'll have two. That'd be great. Coming up, 100% increase. <laughs> there you That's go. 100% increase in yield. 950. We'll be <laughs> right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. All right, we're back. Final portion of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, it sounds like the snow is just not going to give up here for a couple of weeks. <laughs> One after another. Well, it's amazing. It's just amazing, and that forecast again for our last caller there, I'm sure they're going to get some more snow, so that kind of uh, compounds the issue. (laughs) You know, like I like to tell my relatives that are in Tucson or Florida or someplace, I send them photos and say, I I feel very sorry sorry for you. The fun (laughs) just never seems to be ending for us this year. (laughs) That's right. Well, keep keep the gas supply for the snowblower full. That's what you need now. Well, let me tell you, I uh, I agree there uh, because I, like everyone, have moved a lot of snow. Got a driveway <laughs> a quarter of a mile long, so wow. I'm using that snowblower. And thank heavens for fossil fuels. I All mean, right. I'm going to get off this, but don't ban the gasoline that goes into my snowblower, please. All right, let's get one more call in here if we can. I use this. Hi, this is Bo calling from Duluth. Hi, Bo. Hi, hey. Bo. Yeah, I'm glad I got a new snowblower this year, too. I got my money's worth. (laughs) (laughs) Me as well. (laughs) I got uh, two quick questions, if I could. The first one is I have a pretty mature C-Mac tree that got pushed down pretty far by all the snow. I'm wondering about that root system. Is it salvageable? What can I do to... Hopefully save that because I love the leaves on a sumac. Okay, sumacs, right? I think that uh, you, you you know you're right about this. Uh, they have a very extensive underground uh, uh, root and rhizome system where they pop new buds up. So 
it may take a while to come back, but I don't think there's going to be any uh, long-term damage there. You're going to, you may lose some of these older uh, limbs that are up there. That's probably without a doubt. As a matter of fact, it, it may have started. Remember that first real heavy wet snow we had? Yeah, that's when I lost it, I think. Absolutely. That was really devastating. I had trees going down left and right and hadn't started a chainsaw in a while, so I had to drag an axe off. That's what I remember. <laughs> I I value those loggers. That that's all I had was axes. I, just, yeah. I had to bust a lot of them out. It was just the the weight of that, that snow was so devastating. It's taken a lot of young birch down. You can see these trees up and down the highway as you drive. Uh, that snow was devastating. I don't think I'm going to worry about sumac there. You're going to come back. You've got an underground root and stem system there that pops them. But uh, there's obviously some damage to the older material, and you're going to pop new material out of the ground. You're going to be just fine there. Okay, good. And then I'm, I'm you finding a second question. Yeah, I'm planning on um, planting a willow tree in my backyard. Any advice on growing a nice, sturdy willow? Well, the big thing about willows, and, um, you know, there are some very nice dramatic uh, trees. Uh, a couple things to consider. They do love moisture. So if you had a hot, dry, sandy site, I don't think that's the best tree for you. But uh, do you have a, a moisture, uh, heavier soil by chance? I do. I do. I, I've, I've, got some, uh, I've got some water drainage is, is in the area where I, I'd like to put it. But, you know, I've still I've got oh, good. clay down there. Yep. Sure. Uh, yeah, they don't want, they're not a swamp tree, of course. Uh, they're not going to grow in the swamp, but they do like plenty of adequate moisture. Sounds like you got a good site. I don't think you'll have okay. too much trouble getting it established. Again, it's smooth bark, so when they're young, if you're getting, an, uh, say, a weeping willow, out of the nursery, uh, you will want to protect that just like any other smooth bark tree. Uh, on the right side, they grow vigorously. There will be a little litter. litter. In other words, uh, you talk about branching that gets knocked down. Uh, willows are notorious yeah. for that. But uh, yeah, on the right side, they're not, not difficult to grow. And just uh, sweep up the branches that get down there. It's just part of the activity which comes with those beautiful trees. The right side, they're oh, yeah. a great tree. We don't have hardiness issues. You'll be just fine. No, oh, good. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. I had I had one that was growing pretty good, and then one of our local Bruins decided to climb up into <laughs> it and busted busted it right in half. Yikes! No kidding. <laughs> Gotta love the animals. Uh, they grow fast. Uh, they're they're not a uh, a real strong wood, and that's why uh, that damage occurred like that. Broke it right yeah. in half. That's amazing. Well. Hey, thanks yeah. for the call, though. we got to wrap it up, Bob. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah. yeah, appreciate the call. Great. Bob, Very hey, we'll catch you again day. next week, and next uh, next show will be in spring. Yes, we will, and it'll all be <laughs> over, and it'll be a distant memory. <laughs> we can only hope that's the case, right? <laughs> right, only hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, spring actually begins next Monday, and uh, Bob will be back next Tuesday. We got more snow in the forecast, though, so I'm sure there'll still be some snow on the ground, and it'll feel like winter, even though it'll actually be spring. Hey, Bob, have a good rest of the week. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Always fun. Glad you're back behind the mic there, Dave. <laughs> All right. It is 9.59. Coming up, we've got uh, news from CBS and the Minnesota News Network, and then Bruce Siski here on KDAL.
Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located inside Dan's Feed Bin on Hammond Avenue in Superior, and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Pet Nutrition Center in Lakeside across from the Lake Walk.